Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning to read at verse 1. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? And Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. Israel in the north, the northern kingdom are gone well over 150 years by now. The house of Judah in the south are now captive in Babylon. And so we read of Nehemiah there. Nehemiah realizes that God had promised. We have looked at it before. We just haven't time to go through it again. But God had promised that those who would go into captivity of the Jews, or Judah, Judah and Jew, Jew is, the, if you want, the derivative name of Judah. And he says, if you go, when you go into captivity, I will bring you back again after 70 years. Now, Nehemiah has done quite well, but nevertheless, where he is, it's also quite dangerous. If you look again, just for time's sake, at chapter 2, it says, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Arxaxerxes, the king that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not before time been before time sad in his presence. You see, he was afraid to be sad in the presence of the king, for it could have been certain death. He was in a privileged position where he wasn't in the slave market, but he was in the palace. But certain death... If he'd done something wrong, he was always on edge, but he was learning. He was learning how to conduct himself. He was learning how to work before the king. He was learning to read hand signals and eye signals. He was learning to the, the most minute detail. He was learning. And most of the time, he didn't even realize it, for God had something else for him. But in that, he was learning. Now, if you look more at that, and we can't really go into it too much, but look at chapter 2. And verse 20, if you will, please. The king then allows him to go into uh, Judea again, or the land of Judah. But before he goes, he asks the king to give him letters of permission. And we find that after that, he starts 
to think things are going great. And then after things are going great, they seem to get worse. And the enemy, the devil, as it were, comes and tries to disrupt everything that God said he was going to do. Now, notice this. Here was his cry after being tested. Notice what it says in verse 20. Then answered I and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Now there are two sets of people here now in Jerusalem. There are those who were of Judah, and there are those who were not of Judah. And you find that the whole way through Jewry now. You'll find that there are those who were true and those who were false. And notice here what he says here. The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, because of him, in other words, we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion or right. Two kinds of people. Those who are the servants of the God of heaven and those who have no portion with the God of heaven. If you just let your eye run back to verse 8, a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, was sent. God moves in an ungodly king. And when God moves on him, he allows his cupbearer, the king's cupbearer, to go. Not only that, but he gives him supply. Not only that, but now he asks for letters, but now he even gives favor. He gives favor in the sight to his servant, in the sight of men. And a letter on the Asaph, the keeper of the, king to, of the king's force, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertained to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. God's already even saying, I'm going to give you and supply not only what you need for the wall, I'm going to supply what you need for the gates. I'm going to supply what the wood that you need for your very house. The king moves on this, or God moves in this king's heart to give it unto Nehemiah. Now, why does it happen? Simple, look at this. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. According to the good hand of my God upon me. And brother and sister, I want you to take note here. Child of God, take note. When you're in Christ, the good hand of God is upon you. The good hand of God is for you. What is our need? What is it that the devil wants us to think? And what is it that he whispers into our ear? And what is it that he torments us with whenever maybe we're lying in bed at night or wherever we are? What is it that he says that would draw us away from God in fear? That he doesn't love you anymore? And he doesn't care? That God's given up on you? That he'll never accept you because you've failed again? Now, that's a lie. The good hand, God's good hand, 
The good hand of my God is upon me. Let your eye run down. Verse 17, then said I unto them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Verse 18, then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. Now, if that was you and I, you and I would maybe say, oh, he's full of himself, because he says God's anointed him. You know, you, you, you don't follow a man, and we don't. We follow Christ. But we enter into the vision and the anointing that God places on men. It's a difference. It's not the man, it's the anointing. It's the God. Notice this, he says, the good hand of my God is upon me. Brothers and sisters, you can say that in the sense of this, you are in Christ. The good hand of your God is upon you. And you might say, well, I'm going through a tough time. Listen, the good hand of God was upon Nehemiah. And look at the tough time he goes through. We'll see a part of it. The good hand of God was upon him, yet he faced opposition. The good hand of God was upon him, yet he faced criticism. The good hand of God was upon him, yet he had anxieties. What are we going to do next? For he keeps saying, Lord, help. Because the good hand of God is upon you, Christian, it doesn't mean to say you're going to be free from troubles. I'd rather be facing troubles with the good hand of my God upon me than not have the good hand of my God upon me and have a trouble-free life. And I mean that. The good hand of my God is upon me. So when he comes in the verse 20, he says, the God of heaven, he Notice, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. You see, the devil will come and tell you, God never used you. We're going to look at this. God can't use you. That's a lie. We need to understand that when we're in Christ, we have the blessing of the Lord. We have the blessing of our God. Notice he says, we, his servants, will arise and build. Then he says to the rest of them, the second people, but ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Now listen. The devil, when he comes to you, the enemy, when he whispers at you, shouts at you, attacks you, or whether it's through someone that he's using to try and destroy you, to try and bring you down, to try and come and take over your life, a sickness in your body, something that's come upon you that's disturbed you, and your mind has been disturbed by it, your heart has been really hurt by it, and it starts to really encroach on you to the place where you find that relationship between you and God is at distancing, do you know the only one who is distancing here? You. Because Jesus promised us, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So when you're feeling, and I'm using the word feeling on purpose, when you're feeling bereft of God, guess who's moved? It's not God. 
It's not God. When you're feeling bereft of God, it's because we have believed the lies for so long that the devil would feed us. So what do we do? Let's take a line from Nehemiah's book here. Here's what you do next time the devil comes to your mind, your heart. Here's what you do even whenever he says, oh, you're never going to make it. You're going to feel you'll, be, you'll never amount to anything in God. Here's what you do. You say, you have no right. You have no portion. And you'll have no memorial in my life. You will have nothing in me because I belong to Jesus. That's it, brothers and sisters. That's what it is. You say, no. The devil has no authority. Brothers and sisters, I am sick, sore, and tired of hearing of this almighty devil. He is not almighty. He is defeated. Christ defeated him for you. He is a defeated foe. He's not almighty. He's not omnipotent. He's not almighty. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He's certainly not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at once. But we serve a living God. Nehemiah's God. The God, not a God. The God of heaven. The God. Omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, sovereign God. Here, you tell him, you have no right, nor portion, nor memorial in my life, nor over my family, nor in my children, nor in my marriage, nor in my walk with Christ nor where I am, nor what I do, nor within my body. You have no portion. Why? You're under new management. Devil, everyone in here who's bought with precious blood, you can do nothing because we're bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Notice this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Listen to what Paul says. What? That's the way he says it. It's amazing. Paul reminds me of a, a Belfast man sometimes. What? You know? What? That's the way he reads it. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Listen, which are God's. Now, your body is bought with the blood of Christ. He paid it all. Well, that's resurrection power, absolutely. Resurrection from the dead, absolutely. That's the healing power of God. 
Your spirit is bought with the precious blood of Christ. You are not your own. Service. Therefore, we, his servants, shall serve him. Serve him. I notice Nehemiah was conscious of his God. He was conscious of the call of God, and he was conscious of the work of God. Just look at chapter 3 briefly for me. So the work seems to go well. All is going smooth, and it's up and running, and he mentions different aspects of the work around nine different gates. Nine different gates. Reminds me of the nine gifts of the Spirit and the nine fruit of the Spirit. Here's now nine gates that they went in and out with, that there was a functioning body in Jerusalem. For example, verse 1 was the sheep gate. Verse two, 3 was the fish gate. Verse 6 was called the old gate. Verse 13, we had the valley and the dung gates. I wouldn't want to be on that one. That would have been one that I wouldn't like to be the worker around the dung gate. Verse 15, the fountain gate. Verse 26, the water gate. Verse 28, the horse gate. And here's one we all know. Verse 29, the eastern gate. The east gate. Now, there's a, a message in all of those gates. I, I, I obviously haven't time to go into that. I'll maybe do it some, night, some other day. So here, the work's going great. Things are going fantastic. God is blessing. God is moving. God is helping. Things are starting to raise up. They're starting to build. They're starting to take shape. All's going smooth. And well, sure, it's wonderful. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. Notice, but. There's always a but, isn't there? And how's things going? People have been asking me. I hear things have been going well down in CET. I says, there have been 30 days. Things will go and come and they'll find their level and then we'll build again. And I heard things are going well, but yes, yes, but you're, you're, you're waiting on the but. Lord, things are going well, but. But the enemy comes. But the enemy attacks. But the enemy divides. But the enemy sows discord. But the enemy comes with their seed of doubt. But the enemy. And brothers and sisters, listen. Be assured there will come a day when the enemy will come and try to disrupt, disrupt you, to destroy you and the work that you set out to do for God. You be assured of it. But that's when you need to know of the God of heaven. We, his servants. Not we, the pastor's servants. Not we, someone else's servants or myself, serve myself. We, his servants. 
will not listen to you. Therefore, we will arise. Arise and build. Build in the kingdom of God. When Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, says Nehemiah, when the devil gets to hear, hey, hold on, I didn't think there would be anything really happening in Guildford. The devil can even use other believers to try and discourage you. Look, see, when we were first come here into this place, and I don't want this message to be about this work. Yes, it's, we can, I can see part of it in it, but it's in other works and it's your life too. But do you see whenever I first was coming here, do you know what people said to me? Is there something wrong with you? I says, well, if you knew me, it's, you wouldn't have to ask them. <laughs> this is believers. Do you know how dark it is there? I says, do you know how bright the light shines in the darkness? It lodges something in your mind. And that's for you and I to dislodge it and say, but we are here to serve him. Notice this. The devil does not mind you saying you're a Christian. And the devil does not mind you even being a churchgoer. He doesn't mind you going through all ritual and religion. and all. He doesn't mind that. He doesn't even mind you being a nice person. But once you start and step forth and step out to serve God, to be obedient to his call, to get close to the Savior, once you start to build the wall to go deeper with Christ and to reach out, you'll find the devil will come in many ways. Ah, it says he was wroth. Sanballat was wroth and took great indignation. He was raging. He's raging. And you know something you might say, oh, he's raging in my life. Good. Good. Because that means you're doing something right. (laughs) He won't bother you if you're just little old churchgoer. It won't bother you if you're just a little Christian man and woman who comes and clocks card and goes home again and, and happy enough with that. He won't bother you. But once you step forward, you should be, you may say, Pastor, you're meant to be saying to us, look, everything's going to be great. Come on, get involved. Everything's going to be rosy in the garden. <laughs> uh, then I'd be a liar. But I'll tell you one thing. He said, my good hand is upon you. Go build. Notice what he says in verse 2. He spake forth to his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in the day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Notice what he says then again in verse 3. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him and said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone walls. Now, Tobiah, 
I understand what you mean. Sometimes the work looks flimsy. And you might seem strong and me might seem weak. We understand what that means because who are these people believing in an invisible God? Who are these people who, who pray and, and, and they're looking for something to happen? Who are these people who gather together on a Sunday morning when people are away out, I don't know, fishing or away to the markets or wherever they're away doing something? Who are these people? It's flimsy. Ah, you see, you and I may be flimsy, but the God we serve is almighty. That's the difference, Tobiah. You're missing the point here. You're missing the point. Now notice this. That which they build, he says, that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone walls. Big mistake, Tobiah. Devil, you're making a big mistake. Well, don't do that for God because, I mean, if you do that, you'll maybe fail. You will, but he won't. He doesn't feel. That's the difference. And you're making a mistake, Tobiah. You're making a mistake, devil, and I'll tell you why. He sees the wall, that which they build. But you and I are not really building anything. We are just vessels. We are implements and we are tools used in the hands of the Almighty Creator. You've missed it, Tobiah. The big mistake the enemy makes is to think the building of God's work rests on man and rests on believers. Even our salvation, our salvation, even our prayer life, our loving him, our heart, can't even be of ourselves. It's all by his spirit. Everything. Notice this. He says, we revive stones out of the heaps of rubbish. <laughs> Reviving stones out of the heaps of rubbish. Because you see, Away 70 years earlier, when Nebuchadnezzar came, and his armies, they, they tore down all the walls and they destroyed the temple. And that's why Ezra's building the temple. Nehemiah comes to build the walls. And, 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 and you read that in the books, those two books. But by the time Nehemiah gets there, there's just rubble. There's burnt rubbish. Notice the word rubbish. Piles of it. Everywhere you go. Piles Piles of rubbish. Look at this, chapter 4. Here's where we turn. Hear, O God, verse 4. Hear, O God, O our God. For we are despised and turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey to captivity of the land. Let's write everyone down to verse 6. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. For the people, the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. You see, when you and I have a mind for the work of God, when you and I have a mind to put Christ first, when you and I have a mind to serve him, when you and I have a mind that's in tune with him, we will build. We will build. 
Notice what it says in verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, notice, and Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. And there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. Here is a negative report coming in now from their own camp. See, a negative report in the church. We can't do this. We, we, we can't grasp this vision. We, we, we'll never make it. We're, where's, this, where's the finance coming from? Listen, see, when we walked into here, I had an ascent. But through people. You, many of you, people that I know, others, and look what's happened. You're mad going there. Are you right in the head that told me? Asked me. It was in Belfast. And someone came up to me and they said, what do you want to go down there for? Are you right in the head? We believers will work for you here in Belfast. What are you doing that for? I'm standing with this building, everything looming, waiting for, oh Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord says, go and build. Notice this, one negative report, we can't do it. Look at the rubbish, we're not able to build the wall. Look at verse 11. And now our adversary said, they will not know, neither see, till we come into the midst of them and slay them and cause the work to cease. See, brothers and sisters, let's be careful. Let's stay in unity. Let's love one another in the faith and in the Lord. Let's stay together and let's put anything that's ever been hindrances or harms in our lives. Let's not go one against another. Look, we're only young in, in, in this church, but we're, we're doing great and it's wonderful. Let's not have the clicks. One click against another click and one click casting out another person. No clicks in here. None. Hear me? None. Brothers and sisters, no clicks. Amen. None. We're all one big click. <laughs> Because it, it comes in and then bitterness comes in and anger comes in and hurt comes in and they start clashing one with another. And notice when it says, it causes the work to cease. And we have to look at our personal lives, Lord. What has hindered me from causing your work to cease? I bet our clothes time's flowing. These stones... Rubbish, burnt, marred, tarred, whatever you want to call it, worthless, useless. Who could use those? We can't build with this. You see, Judah, that's people from Judah. Listen, Judah, may they tell you. The good hand of our God is upon us. Now, rubbish can be cleared. See, if I went right up and down every aisle, and stopped out at this man, or started here and went with you. Every single one of us could tell us 
or the Lord could show us if it was written in the screens of rubbish. Rubbish of past life. People who have been used and abused in past life. People who have had broken marriages in past life. Cast to the side by the church. God forgive them. People have had broken hearts and have been cast to the side. Past life of alcoholism, drug addiction, maybe past life of prostitution. Who knows? Past life of, of one night stands, the length of your arm, and past life of it and the guilt of it, and the guilt of it still with us. Listen, brother, listen, sister. If you're in Christ, and since you're in Christ, it's all under the blood. It's forgiven. And there's rubbish, yes, but the rubbish has been cleared out. The wall has been rebuilt. The temple of the Holy Ghost. Notice, rubbish clears out. And another one here, they said, these stones, these stones are not only rubbish, but they're in heaps. They're neither shape nor make. Okay. See this man? Guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. That's me. Rubbish. I was neither shape nor make. In my sin. I came to the cross. Drawn by the Spirit. Under the fountain of blood. And the rubbish was cleansed. And he started to shape me up like he did in Nehemiah as the king's cupbearer. Then the time was right. He says, now son, I have a calling for you. And listen, and the good, ho- the good hand of my God was upon me. Same with you. Same with all of you. I'm going to have to finish. First Peter 2 and 5. Listen to what Peter says. Of you and I, he writes to the strangers scattered. He's writing to scattered Israel. And the, these ones have got saved. These have been heard the gospel. Listen to what he says. Ye also, so you can include you in that and me in that. Ye also as lively stones, or living stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up Spiritual sacrifices acceptable unto God by Jesus Christ. So, here's what I've written. Brother, sister, revival comes through faithful, obedient, and determined spirit-filled believers who, like Nehemiah, have an inner lining of God's preparation. A built character and a calling from the God of heaven. What Nehemiah learned and been fashioned to as a king's cupbearer would now stand by him. Remember, God could be fashioning you, fashioning you now even though you don't know it for something you are going to do for him 
whether it's the near future or the distant future, or to prepare you for something you'll even go through in the future. When the enemy comes, he cries, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. People go into different ministries and we serve God, just natural, going into serving with God in our lives, our walking, our, our faith in walking with God. And some people find after a while you have either one of two things. You have either extrinsic motivation, extrinsic motivation or intrinsic motivation. Intrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation is outside influence. Outside influence is it motivates you. What's going on outside? You go with the flow. You go with what is popular. You go with everything and anything carried about nearly with every wind of doctrine. But you go with it and you serve for a while and then because it just dies off in you when you're tried with it. Intrinsic motivation means inside influence. It means you are driven by a deep inner influence. Which one are you? If you're driven by a deep inner influence, that's God working in your life to serve him. And no matter what happens around you, listen, I could go through things a length of my arm and back again, tell you things that's happened, the disappointments, Disappointments in, in life, different disappointments in home, disappointments in family, disappointments in uh, even disappointments through death and disappointments in things that didn't happen or should, I thought should have happened, disappointments in church, disappointments with people. Listen, the, the, if I allow them to affect me, that's extrinsic motivation. I'm motiv- I motivated by what, how I'm affected. I'm motivated if I've had a good night and it's been all a great atmosphere, as, as it were, and I have the disco ball up and the flashing lights and everybody's whoop, whoop, whooping and blowing their whistles and saying a few Christian songs with it. Extrinsic motivation. But when you go out, it does nothing for you. Intrinsic motivation. It's through the Word of God. That's written in your heart. In your heart. And no matter who or what fails you, He said, I will never leave nor forsake thee. So he becomes a wall builder. I thought it would have been a nice, lovely job he got. I'd rather be a wall builder with the troubles for God and stand in the world and with the devil of the world, letting him sip his wine, serving him because it was an easy life. But don't forget, it's dangerous. And he thinks nothing of killing you. He thinks nothing of killing you. Oh, Christ, you're a wonderful Savior. God bless. Time's flowing, folks.